What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Block Sauce, your weekly web show that serves up the juiciest discussions in Web3 and gaming culture. I'm your host, Marina FT Ambassador Jim Karen, and today we have another new panel lined up for you guys. I'm excited. I, I, I we're just gonna jump into it because I want to introduce these people and give them a chance to talk about what they're working on. So let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Block Sauce. Again, the weekly web show that everybody should be tuning into, if you ask me. We got raw, unfiltered takes. And today, I'm excited. We have Annie back on the show. If you missed our last episode, Annie is one of the found or the founder for ETH Lizards. And they recently dropped a new game. I want to give him an opportunity to talk about this. Um, battle for, was it Battle for the Beyond or from the Beyond? I always mix it up. Battle. Even better, it's Battle in the Beyond. So, in the Beyond. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we picked the most confusing title ever. You're not the only person that uh, that messes it up. It goes with our brand. Everyone miscapitalizes Eat Lizards too, so it, it's all good. But how's it, how how have things been going? It launched what was it two three weeks ago now? Um, I participated in the little content creator thing that we had going, and then afterwards, I wanted to get on the top of the leaderboards. I went and bought more. I had a lot of fun with it myself. Um, how has that kind of been going since you guys launched that? Yeah, Jinkrin, it's it's been great, mate. We um we've launched. It's it's almost been a full month now, actually, uh, which is tough to believe. Time time flies in Web three, <laughs> but um, it yeah, it, it's been amazing. So for those that haven't seen it yet, um, it's a, it's an opening platform where as you open uh, disks, these are the the uh, asset containers in the Alluvium ecosystem for Alluvium. Uh, beyond characters, uh, you're going to get different creatures that uh, that appear. They've got all kinds of cool expressions and backgrounds and accessories. We've built a platform around battling with these creatures as you unbox them, and so uh, it's it's been really really well received by the community. Uh, interesting stat: over seventy percent of all of the Aluvatars are being opened on our platform now. And uh, uh, Kieran, so those those in your audience that know Kieran Warwick um, know that he's not often prone to exaggeration. But he he literally said, "There's no reason for anyone in Alluvium to open discs anywhere other than Battle in the Beyond." And so, like that's pretty high praise coming from a founder talking about their own studio. Like we've just taken that experience and moved it up to an entirely new level. Um, and like you saw on that on that uh, opening adventure, it, it turns a single player uh, experience into one that's very much community based, very multiplayer, mm -hmm. uh, very in keeping with our ethos and our brand at ETH Lizards. Right? We want to create these experiences that bring people together, and so. Uh, couldn't be more pleased with how it's gone. Um, Alluvium is just absolutely thrilled because we've now created an entire new structure on top of their NFTs. Uh, and then we as a studio are now onboarding new players into ETH Lizards um, that wouldn't have even looked at our project in the past, but now we've got an experience people actually care about. So yeah, really excited. Um, thus far, uh, we've had almost 3,000 battles that have been mm -hmm. launched in that, that first month. Uh, and these are all battles that require paid assets. So this mm -hmm. is not like, oh, uh, there's just a bunch of people out here, you know, spamming for stuff. So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really pleased um, and uh, excited about where we're going because we've got uh, coming up a few new game modes that are going to launch in the next uh, next month and a half. 
that are even going to you know bring the platform to another level. And from my understanding, this is just the first step, right? You guys are looking to expand this platform beyond just Alluvium long term. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. So this is the first gaming experience that we've got with a. I'm going to say an, an S tier partner, and and I think look, your, your audience is knowledgeable. Uh, they they know who the the top tier studios are that are building actual games people want to play about mm-hmm. uh, in, in the space. Um, I'm going to be be frank. Of the top twenty studios that are building, uh, our next round is going to be made up of about half of them uh, that want to partner with Eat Lizards. So. You can you can draw your own conclusions on who that means, uh, but but legitimately, uh, we're getting S tier partners that are going to be the leaders in the space over the next decade uh, that we're building out these connected experiences with. So yeah, if you uh, if you haven't been following ETH Lizards and you want to have opportunities to play in some pretty cool experiences, um, give us you know come check us out. You don't have to buy the NFT. Just come and join us in Discord. Uh, we've got a bunch of game nights and tournaments that are going on now all the time and uh, excited to continue building our community. And for those that might not be familiar, if you make it to the top 100 on the leaderboard and you have a lizard pass, you can actually win a lot of various prizes to include their upcoming elemental lizard collection. Wink, wink. And now how how's that elemental lizard collection going to play into this system? Is this going to give players access to these future games as well? Like, what, what, what exactly are they going to be used for? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So the Elemental Lizards are our gamer NFT collection. So the current ETH Lizards that everyone knows and loves, the guy I've got behind me and on my hat, um, they are for builders and investors in the sector, right? So 100% mm-hmm. like that is who these are for. This is an, we're an investment sub DAO. Um, but this new collection that we're going to be launching, very distinct utility targeted for gamers. It is a battle pass mechanic as well as an upgradable RPG character. And so, yes, as you have an elemental, you'll get discounts on all of the the suite of games that we're going to be launching. You'll get some uh, unique access um, that only elemental lizards are going to have to our games. We'll have some exclusive tournaments. Uh, We're going to also be partnering with more game studios than just the ones that I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, where we'll have an API that will allow them to basically be onboarding elemental lizards into their ecosystem. And so we're building a very, very competitive select group of of holders that, frankly, I think is going to have pretty interesting uh esports competitions as well because we have already lined up a number of folks and, and groups that have their like top teams among a lot of the guilds the web3 gaming guilds that you guys know and love um that we're in the midst of some negotiations on to onboard into our ecosystem so this is going to be a pretty um pretty targeted niche group of gamers so look if you want to get in early uh come play in some of our initial activations like battle in the beyond the elemental collision uh, elemental lizard collection is going to be exactly for you as a hardcore gamer in the sector yes love to hear it so this is the challenge for you guys you guys got to knock me out of top 100 because I'm, I'm getting that lizard unless somebody throws me out I've, I've already dropped probably like 40 spots since i last opened Wait. but yeah, well, I'll have to. I'll come out here and search for you in a second. We'll see where you landed on the uh, on the leaderboard. But um, yeah, Last that's going to be the challenge. Is I think it was fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. You've got a shot. But look, you know, here's the challenge. We we, uh, we just saw Alluvium announced in a partnership with with Team Liquid. So for oh, we're gonna get to it, that. 
We're gonna get to that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is uh, yeah, it's out of order. But look, uh, we're gonna have an influx of new players coming over the next couple months here, y'all. So uh, your spot might not be completely safe at the moment, Jinkuru. I we'll see, we'll see. But we also have Grazlo who's working on Oldor. You guys just dropped a new trailer. Tell me what is going on with Oldor. Yeah, we we dropped this new trailer today. So. It, you know, if you've played the Dread Arena, which is our first game mode, um, mm -hmm. it players are in this like kind of Roman feeling arena, which we, we originally designed this to be a PvP map, but we made the Dread Arena as kind of like a mini game or a kind of a vertical slice to to you know show players kind of the vision of the game, uh, get give them some of the lore because you're fighting the Dread King's minions. So we decided let's lean into this a bit and kind of remaster what this looks like. So we were actually. We, we redesigned the map to be part of the Dread King's Lair, which is this underground dungeon. And players are now fighting on this raised platform in an underground arena. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check out the trailer if you haven't seen it yet. So we, we just put it out a few hours ago, uh, getting great feedback so far. Fantastic. Shay, you got anything you're working on right now? Or are you, you between projects? What's... What, yeah. Totally. I mean, I'm. I don't need an introduction. I'm one of the OG panelists of the box <laughs> of us. But um. Well, I didn't yeah. want it to just be a boys' club, you know. <laughs> that's that's sweet of you, Jinky. I, I I know you're one of the good ones. Don't worry. I already know. Um. But yeah, just I recently launched uh my company called When Marketing, which you can you guys can check out more information about that on my Twitter. Um. My goal with that is to just make it like an education platform for Web two marketers wanting to come into Web three web three marketers web three business owners that kind of a thing my first newsletter comes out december 15th and i'm doing giveaways and those kinds of things so yeah go go subscribe um and i'm advising on on a few projects right now as well and just participating trying to participate in the in the market and getting getting ready for the the bull market that's coming back a lot a lot is going on and that is a job in and of itself so and then of course i'm over here Working on the block sauce. So there, you got the ongoings of everybody up here. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Pixel CEO says that 40% of their players are actually bots. Now, to me, this isn't a surprise. I mean, I don't think this should really surprise anyone. Uh, botting has been a thing in gaming for ages. World of Warcraft to this day, 20 plus years later, still has bots. I don't think it's an easy problem to tackle. I don't see it being tackled anytime soon. But I think there's a benefit here because I have seen a lot of people posting about pixels and all the screenshots show active lobbies and people are talking about how there's always, you know, players around to engage with and do stuff with. Do you think in this situation, bots may actually be beneficial to the pixel ecosystem? Aside from the extraction element, let's not talk about that yet. <laughs> what if it's a fly-off? Is it a fly-off? What do you guys think? Well, here's the thing. When Byte City came out and all the content creators were talking about it, I jumped into it to check it out. And the first thing I noticed was the bots. And it wasn't like player ran bots. It was bots that they programmed into the game to make it feel like your lobby is active and people are talking and it's all like you can talk to somebody. There's no actual genuine responses because it's a bot. So you kind of pick up on it really quick. And me as a player, that kind of turns me off. But that's me personally. I'm thinking on a wider scale that this could be beneficial because I am kind of tired of jumping into Web3 games and seeing empty lobbies, you know? So it's like a pros and cons situation to me. Yeah, I definitely think there's multiple sides there because you've got the case of, you know, like the 
the studio and the player wants that good experience. And with, with PvP or multiplayer games, you know, you have that like network effect that needs to happen. If you if you jump into the best game, you know, we're going to talk about Alluvium, you know, you jump into a PvP game and you you should have, you sit there waiting and matchmaking for five minutes, you're going to quit. You know, you're not going to sit there and wait forever. You need games to actually happen. And so I'm seeing this more and more on mobile where, you know, the studio will actually have a really comprehensive AI that feels like you're, you're fighting against another player. Mm-hmm. I, I've, you know, seen rumors that like, you know, uh, Warcraft Rumble uses that, that, um, you know, Marvel Snap uses that, that various mobile titles are starting to to do that because not only do you ensure that there's always a game to play, but you can also kind of control the player's experience a bit, you know, give them a little, you know, if they, they run into like several losses in a row, you can kind of toss them an easy win, you know? Um, so I think there's definitely that side of it. But then when we talk about like extraction or we talk about the, the economic effects, you definitely need to be cautious about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, both from what the studio does and what you're incentivizing players to do. Because if you're, if you have these extractors, and they just dominate the market, then, you know, that kind of ruins the game economy. You got anything, Annie? Yeah, no, I, I think Gressler nailed it. it. It's very dependent on the genre of game and, and the, the types of gameplay loops that exist. Uh, PvP, 100%. This is the, the main area that you, I think you can make a good argumentation that in order to ensure the ability for players to get matchups, PvP is the one space where I, like, I think in most cases, it just makes sense to have some sort of bot mechanics. Now, not everyone, and and I say, like I say this, and and immediately after, I'm gonna maybe contradict myself a little bit. So this was a huge question we had for Battle in the Beyond, right? If if I have a disc that I wanna open, I I want to match up against a player because I wanna see what I got. These are actual NFT assets. You know, some of them are worth you know five ETH, right? So like I don't want some fake bot to open up a disc to have things that I'm like, oh my God, like that's an amazing drop. And then find out it's not really real. Like it, we're just simulating disc opening with someone else. Mm-hmm. It really loses the luster of, of the platform in our case, if you know it's not like it's not real assets, it's not a real person on the other side. That does mean though that it's more challenging, especially for us like at the tail end of a season when most people were playing a lot at the start and now like three or four months on, okay, things have kind of run their course. So mm-hmm. we've talked about that. There's a few things that we're, you know, we're trying to do. The the biggest one is you want to cut down the number of sort of options, right? So for us, it's maybe the number of discs that you're going to battle or the type of disc. Anytime you can reduce the number of options to get more people into like a single type of a lobby, that just makes it better experience for the player base. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of games are going to have the same challenge in a PvP setting until they can hit that threshold of users so mm-hmm. that the queue times are not long enough. And, and you know, we're absolutely everyone, you know, Grasley, you guys are going to be the same when you're talking about arena matchups. Like, you know, if you want to be playing against another person, you got to figure out a way to make it so that you can do so, so that your your players that are keen don't get disappointed because they just can't find a good match. Um, I I have all the concerns in the world when I look at PVE type of play and like you've got bot, bots that are basically just being used for extraction purposes. Like there's not really a, a need for that unless you're talking about like some kind of multiplayer open world. But I agree with your take, Jinky, that, that like there's not a there's not a bot in the world that I've ever talked to that I felt like, oh, this is so much better that I'm engaging with this bot that just said like, you know, I am doing well today. How are you, sir? Like, <laughs> sorry, it doesn't do it for me, guys. Like, uh, give me a, an actual gamer or, or like, let me just play solo and I'm okay. Yeah, well, I mean, 
people aren't botting your games, it's not because they can't. It's because they don't care enough to do it. So uh, I'll hit like, on that comment after you're done. I want to. I want to hear your take. But so, like you said, I think it's from a marketing perspective. Like it's it's put them in the headlines more. So I wonder if it's been good publicity for them. But from what I read, it seems like as a counteraction, they are implementing some hindrances to this happening more. I think they're implementing um, some VIP battle passes that start at like $35. And I don't know how many bots are going to be spending that. I'm not sure. And then they're also putting a cap on resource generation. So I'm not sure how, I'm not sure if this trend is going to continue. So I'm going to throw in a couple of corrections here real quick. So they already have the VIP pass and they found what the issue is, is the free players are funneling the funds to one VIP account. So realistically $35 and you can run as many accounts as you want and funnel it to that one paid account. And they're finding that there is uh, more extraction going out than coming in because of that. So they already have the VIP system, but they are working on a reputation system now. And that's what they're going to expand upon to try and combat the bots. Um, on top of that, there was a, another correction. Um, man, I just lost it resource generation oh there is no cap on resource generation uh they they will not be capping it based on what the ceo put out uh and that's why they want to get this reputation system figured out so that way they can nail down and and, you know kind of limit what's going on with the economy right now that is if they do do the reputation system well hopefully maybe that's something like other games can model I do know that there's a lot of mobile three uh, mobile games, not necessarily Web three, but they do rely on uh, those reputation systems. Like I think it's um, it used to be called Mobile Legends Bang Bang. It might still be that name. I know at one point there was some legal tussle with League of Legends and Riot. And anyway, that game actually has a reputation system. And if you go below a certain reputation point, like you can't queue for ranked, you can't uh, you can't chat. Like there's a lot of restrictions that go on your account. So maintaining a good reputation is definitely key. So I think that will be beneficial for them for sure. Uh, as to what extent, I don't know yet because let's be honest, a bot that doesn't do anything bad probably isn't going to get you know, reported by players or downvoted or whatever, as long as they're just playing the game. But you you mentioned the comment that they also mentioned that it's not that they can't bot, it's that they don't care enough to. And I agree, but we also have to understand why they're doing it. It's not that these players or these bots care enough about the game to bot it, it's that they care enough about the financial incentive to bot it. And the same applies in web two. People aren't botting World of Warcraft just to progress the game or get loot or whatever the case is. They're botting the game so they can farm gold and then they can turn around and do real world transactions and sell that gold to other players. Um, so I, I think that it's not necessarily that they don't care enough about the game. I think it's that they don't care enough about the financial incentive to bot it. Because let's be honest, a lot of these web three games, it's not necessarily super profitable to players, even if you do run multiple accounts. Um, and I, I'm saying that as somebody who tried for 30 days, there was a game that I grinded and I'm like, I'm going to play this Web3 game exclusively for a month to see what I can earn. As somebody who is not a full-time gamer, but I was able to play after I got off work, on the weekends and everything, a month landed me $5. That's not even enough to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks. You know, I'll say the opposite's true too. <laughs> like, um, not only is it based on the, you know, the, the profitability for an individual bot or individual player, but the the companies think about it the same way too. Like, um, if you know World of Warcraft or other 
uh, games are not like losing money per bot, they're not really incentivized to go and tackle those at, in mass. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, they're going to do a little bit, but they're not going to spend like a lot of resources on tackling a problem that doesn't cost them anything. Well, so, in the case of World of Warcraft, they the they opposite. said, they're yeah, making money. <laughs> well, in the case well in the case of World of Warcraft, they were like, "Look, we can't fight this. We're just going to join them." So now you can buy gold directly in the game. They have a native system that you can buy and sell this token that is worth in-game and fiat currencies. So they were like, "Can't beat them. Join them. We're, we're just we're going to take our share of the profits first, you know." And that does that actually does alleviate an issue with the players, and that is the black markets because there are websites out there that take advantage of the players. You buy the gold, and then you never actually get it. So, in a way, I, I, I appreciate Blizzard for doing this. It's not necessarily the solution, in my opinion, but it's probably the best solution we can hope for at this time. Yeah, would it be interesting, uh, guys, if if there was a system? Uh, let's call it like a, a technological system that allowed you to like trade assets for real world currency of some kind. Like imagine if somebody built that and then like you just put that in the game and then you didn't have to have these like back alley transactions in World of Warcraft. Like someone just kind of leaned into that and built some games that, that were fun to play. Like imagine what that would look like. Just just throwing it out there. And I'm just going to throw it out there. We actually almost had a Blizzard rep on this show early in the life cycle of uh, Block Sauce. And they found out we were Web3 and said, nope. Hmm. So Bl Blizzard doesn't want to give up their control. They know with their current setup, it's a pseudo uh, play to earn setup. I say pseudo because the money goes in but never leaves their ecosystem. It's all store credit, blah, blah, blah. But there is a pseudo play to earn system in there. So they, I think they are looking at this space and seeing how can we take that and not necessarily use it the way they're using it. How can we use it our way so we can keep control? So we'll see. I would love for Blizzard to go Web3, though. If I could start trading and selling World of Warcraft assets, man, I'd probably be rich in a year. Give it to me. I'm just saying, if you didn't see my tweet, I'm playing, I'm reading four out of seven nights a week in World of Warcraft. I spend a lot of time in World of Warcraft right now. <laughs> but we still get Web3 you know, games I, in, and that's why we're here. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I really think, like, this this problem, like, it, it actually has solutions in Web3. And it depends on the genre mm -hmm. of game, and it depends on the, the economic structure. Um, for sure, a lot of studios are going to fail that, that I mean, we're talking about some of the challenges Pixels has now where they they didn't do a good job of, of defining some of the economic loops in a way that prevented uh, some of those exploitation pieces. But look, there are lots of studios that are gonna learn from those those types of errors. And and I will say like, maybe shout out to, to ETH Lizards, uh, shout out to some of our panelists on here, like a lot of the content creators, if you're a studio that is building and you haven't bothered to bring in some advisors that have been through the ringer here in Web3 over the last two or three years that can tell you, hey, here's how someone's going to try and exploit the system that you just designed that you think is great. And like, as a, as a DGen, here's what I'm going to do to break the thing and just get all the money out. Like, shame on you, because it's such an easy thing to do. Like, there are so many communities that like we've had people come in and say, hey, like, here's what we're thinking about. And uh, can Eat Lizards or, or Wolfsdow or some of these other organizations, can you try and break our structure for us and tell us what the what the fatal flaws are? Do that beforehand with a friendly group or, or two, and you're going to be amazed at what they come up with that you never would have thought would have been a problem. And you can try and fix it before you basically you know crash your economy as you try and launch it. I did see one person uh, comment on Twitter that 
you know, do you think KYC would fix the botting problem? I don't think it would. I, I think honestly, I think it would just lead to increased identity theft. <laughs> if I'm being honest, it already happens. People are already stealing identities to KYC across various platforms. I don't think it's a good solution. It might be a mitigation tool at best, but it's not going to be a prevention tool. No, yeah, no. Look, if, if I want, to, <laughs> yeah, no. If if, if I want to go buy, uh, you know, twenty different virtual identities, it's it's not very expensive for me to do so. Like honestly, like KYC does not. It does not accomplish what what most uh, individuals in in governments and in you know regulatory sectors mm -hmm. assume that it does when you're talking about a virtual KYC. Just it, it doesn't it doesn't work. It's too easily games. So yeah, people can try and like I I understand the thought process behind it, but it's it's just an unsophisticated tool in general. I don't disagree. Well, moving on to the next topic, big news in the space. Uh, Team Liquid partnered with Illuvium and Illuvium also launched their PvP beta on Epic Games. Now, I know that Wolves Dad talked about this a little bit yesterday and anybody can get on Epic Games, so that's not necessarily the big deal. But partnering with Liquid, in my opinion, that's a big freaking deal. We're starting to see a lot of these professional Web 2 gamer teams start to, to move into Web 3. I don't... You know, I think a lot of us saw this coming because many of them do have Web3 partnerships. I'm pretty sure it was Fnatic that had something with FTX. Um, so I still think it's a great thing, though, especially if we can start seeing some of their players streaming and playing these games in a competitive manner. I think that's great. Yeah, that, that's my big takeaway from this is we're about to start seeing like real attempts to bring mainstream adoption. And we're going to get to see like what lands, what doesn't, how the narrative kind of shifts. Because, you know, before the narrative was that everything is like pixel games, you know, or it's Axie Infinity kind of, you know, extraction games. It's, you know, or, or like bad versions of Web 2 games. But, you know, Illuvium is actually like a really well-polished, great looking game. And it's, it's designed with a, you know, a solid team. They've got a lot of people working on it. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, games like Alluvium, games like Shrapnel, like actually get out there and get players, like have a playable game and actually do some paid marketing to see, you know, what does their user acquisition costs look like? What what is the narrative once real gamers and, and like real um, uh, critics and, and reviewers of all these different publications get to play these games? Like what are their thoughts? And, and just I want to see like that that narrative. I thought the trailer was sick. So shout out, shout out to the team <laughs> behind that. Uh, love the love the dragons and the alluvials. But no, I think I think it's really interesting, and I'm looking forward to see forward to seeing how alluvium continues to bring the different experiences together, like that interconnectedness and interoperability buzzword. I know aspect because um, I think that'll be something that kind of bridges the the web three aspect of it. Um, some more, but no, as Graslow said, like. Alluvium, as far as like Web3 games go, has consistently had that AAA level depth and quality. And I think it is going to be a very big catalyst in bringing Web3 gaming mainstream as we're seeing. I don't know if you guys can, if you guys can educate me on if, I don't know if Team Liquid has partnered with other Web3 games in particular, um, but that, yeah, in general, I think this is, especially as they lean into the esports initiative side some more too, um, I think that's super bullish and they're launching tournaments with like $100,000 plus prizes. And also the DGen in me is curious if this had like an effect or like an uptick on their token price uh, at all. I hold some 
love I hold some alluvium, so I have a bag going in, a small bag going into the to the bull market. Um, but yeah, no, bullish, bullish on alluvium for sure. You're on mute, Jinky. I am muted. Quick update. I just got news from the producer. Farcana has also announced today that they are partnering with Ocelot, the ex-CEO of G2 Esports. So we have another esports partnership in this space. Ooh. Looking good, guys. Looking good. I, I don't know. We're starting to see gamers well, bullish on Web3 Gaming, maybe. One after the other, you know, like <laughs> one starts and then just all of them follow. I, I'm a team fanatic person. I want to see more fanatic partnerships, but these are all good too. I mean, Liquid's, Liquid's a good team. <laughs> I was yeah. watching them compete for the Raid World first and World of Warcraft. So I am I like Liquid yeah. for the World of Warcraft team, but I like fanatic for League of Legends. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. look, I, I think it's, um and, and uh, full disclosure for those that don't know, I, so I'm a, I'm a council member at Alluvium and, and have been in very involved for, for a couple of years now. Um, very exciting times and and what i would say is as someone who is not a huge fan of auto battlers it's not my favorite genre mm -hmm. um the alluvium arena legitimately has more depth of gameplay than team fight tactics which is the unequivocal leader in the sector uh, in fact like it's basically there's team fight tactics and there's almost no one else right now from a from a genre standpoint that's even a, a meaningful player and so with that like this is going to be the chance to see, okay, a game that's been in development for three years, 150-person studio, cranking away at it. Like, let's see, can this really compete with a mainstream Web 2 game of an equivalent genre and actually take some market share? And for sure, Alluvium has other components. There, there are other games that are interconnected, as, as we've mentioned. But the real, I think the real test is not, you know, how does the overworld do from a creature collector standpoint? It's can the the emergent, you know, infra gameplay that's going on in an, in an arena where like, yes, there are earnings, but it's only going to be earnings if you're at the top of the leaderboards and, you know, you're literally winning the, the, the tournaments in the same way that esports is in Web2, right? There's, there's nothing different that's going to scare mm -hmm. people away like, oh, this is a Ponzi. Nope. If you're the winner out of 5,000 players in a tournament, you're going to get a few thousand bucks. Like, that's the way that it works in the real world in Web 2. That's the way it's going to work here. If that can compete with with a you know an actual uh, top tier game and studio like like Team Fight Tactics, now all of a sudden you can start drawing the lines and saying, okay, if Alluvium can do this to the auto battler genre, well, I wonder what Parallel is going to be able to do over here from a card game standpoint. And like, what about Wildcard over here with this MOBA? Like, let's go take a look at Dimensionals and see what they're building. Like these studios, we can go on down the line. I know there's a lot of, you know, discussions right now with Shrapnel and, uh, you know, and, and then in the FPS space, it's very crowded. You got Dead Drop and some of these others. But look, there are a lot of games that legitimately from a gameplay standpoint are going to be able to compete on their own. Then you get to this questions about user acquisition. And as, as the quality improves, do the advantages that Web3 brings to the table now begin to shine through and say, you know what, if I'm a, a legit serious player, that I'm a, I'm a TFT pro, and I can get a thousand bucks for winning this TFT tournament, and I can get 20,000 bucks for winning a tournament over an Alluvium, I'm listening. Because why the hell would I not? Like, this is a very meaningful difference in terms of the reward mm -hmm. structures that you can have in place because of the Web3 economics that go behind these game studios. And so, like, I think that's going to be a catalyst that, look, it may not work, but if it does, you need to keep your eyes on this being a main driver for actual competitive gameplay rewards for these top tier studios that launch. 
Another thing that a lot of people don't consider is the pay time frame. Uh, when competing overseas, especially, it, it can take esports players months to receive payment. Now I'm I'm playing in tournaments across the world and I'm getting paid the day the tournament concludes. Like Web3 expedites so much in that regard. And, and I think there's a real benefit to it. And that might be why we're starting to see more of these teams kind of pick up on the space. They're like, oh, I don't have to wait three to six months and go through customs or whatever. Like it's just, hey, here's my wallet address. Boom, done. Okay, got my money, you know? So definitely a lot of benefits there. Hopefully we see more of this. Again, I'm waiting for the day Fnatic tells me they're partnering with the game, be it Shrapnel, big time. I don't care. Partner with somebody, Fnatic, please. <laughs> oh, man. But that aside, we, we've mentioned Shrapnel a whole lot this episode, and I think it's time we go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Uh, we saw one of their major shareholders uh, refuse to issue out the shares, as well as apparently trying to break into the coffers to pay off some of his own personal debts. Uh, to me, until something actually legitimately happens, I don't think this is a big deal. Um, right now, obviously, there's litigation ongoing. Shrapnel can't really say much on it, but we did hear a little bit from them in the Wolvesdale uh, gamified space yesterday, and they basically said the same thing. Like, it, it, as far as employees are aware, it's not a big deal. So, what's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I mean, it seems like uh, not a massive deal. Um, it's one of those unfortunate kind of legal things. And, and we're sensitive to it in Web3 because there's been so many scandals and, you know, founder squabbles and, and things like that. But um, I think the, the Shrapnel team is solid. Um, it seems like leadership is solid. So, yeah, I, I don't think this is a big deal, but uh, definitely unfortunate timing. We love you, Tony. <laughs> Look, if, if this whole gaming thing doesn't work out for our sector, we have the market absolutely cornered on like drama. We we can do like daytime drama series, TV shows out, you know, out the wazoo with all these projects. So, you know, there's a there's always a fallback option uh, if, if this thing doesn't work. There you you heard it here first, guys. The next meta drama fi. <laughs> I mean, it seems like Web2 has been picking up some of that, too, with the whole open AI debacle all the sams i don't know the sams the sams have unfortunate <laughs> luck it seems i don't know but <laughs> yeah business business is war as they say and i think um i didn't read up on exactly the details but it just seems like like be really careful with who's on your board of directors like i think with gaming it's really hard because it's kind of impossible to do without venture capital but this is why companies kind of are afraid of venture capital, are afraid of giving away equity and want to bootstrap stuff because you're giving away control. And it's it's scary. And people get when there's money involved and the level of success that Shrapnel is, you know, getting to and the level of visibility, it sounds like it sounds like some people are are getting greedy. So I think it's good that their team put out a statement that operations or it's business as usual we're working we're working on our stuff uh i hope that it doesn't escalate beyond that and that is true and that they're able to resolve everything i agree and if you guys want to stay up to date with shrapnel you should probably follow them on twitter as well as join the gamified spaces they've been hanging out with us feeding us info and we got some good info yesterday so go watch yesterday's episode to find out more about what's going on and what their response has been so far uh, as far as what they can publicly talk about because obviously there's stuff behind closed doors and with legal involved you can't talk about everything but um it sounds like for the most part nobody's really concerned which is great they're going to keep their heads down keep building we're going to see a play test coming up i believe they said uh sometime in december so look forward to playing that i'm excited so 
Next topic, we have, this one's kind of rough, guys. This one's, nobody wants to talk about this, but this is a reality of games, and it's not a Web3 problem. This is a games industry problem. Right now, based on the recent CoinGecko report, 75% of Web3 games are failing or have failed. That is actually lower than I was expecting, to be honest. In Web 2, we see a lot higher rate than that, it feels like. So I feel like we're doing pretty good for ourselves over here. It sounds like bad news, but it's it's actually, to me, kind of good news. Jinky, can you can you help us out? when? Uh, do you know what metric they use to determine failing or failed? Obviously, like if the studio is no longer in existence, it's failed. But like when they say failing, what? how are they evaluating that? Do you know? Uh, it is right here. So... I'm looking through the article. I had it yesterday and then I forgot to make notes, but it, I believe it's based on project activity. So like socials, mm-hmm. discord, okay. um, things like that. So sentiment. Yeah, no, it makes, makes total sense. Look, I, I think the, um, yeah, it's based I, on activity. Actually, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually second your take on this. 75% is, frankly, better than I would have expected. I, I, I would have thought we were closer to 90 or 95% at this point. That's um, what I thought. Look, running a startup is hard. I, like, I know, I mean, all, all of us on the panel, like, we, you know, we, we did our intros, like, we're all running startups, we're all, you know, beginning new new businesses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough. Like, there are so many, so many ways that things, something can go wrong that can derail a project. And there's like everything basically has to go right to to you know a first degree in order for something to be successful. And with a game studio, especially when you add on these blockchain elements, it's it's difficult. Like I tremendous respect for anyone that's building in the sector. Um, and I know people you know in in this in the space are always down. Oh, there's so many rugs and scams and and so on that just don't work out. There are a lot of projects that are trying to build good games that just they're not going to get traction and they're not going to succeed. It doesn't mean that that studio was, you know, set off to you know, to defraud people and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think having that thick enough skin as an industry that like you're going to see a lot of, of creative destruction as new projects get kicked off is just that that has to be par for the course. You aren't going to upend an existing, you know, uh, trillion dollar markets with you know, with just hopes and dreams and just, you know, 80% of people succeed. Like it's not that simple. And so, um, I think, I think maybe if you're still here, uh, as a team, a, give yourself a pat on the back. You're in, I guess the, the 25%, uh, that have survived. Um, but look, I, I have to be honest. I know a lot of studios that are still doing okay now that are probably not going to make it to the end of the, you know, their runway and be able to launch something that's fully featured enough. So, uh, I do think that number is still going to go up over the next couple of years, uh, but we're we're here for the projects that do succeed, and as a you know as a, a studios, and as content creators, and as you know uh, partners and ecosystem players, like our responsibility is to make sure that um, we're giving everyone a best as best an opportunity from a market standpoint to be successful, right? And so I I just encourage people focus on those studios that are building out things that are are good, uh, give them your support in terms of. Uh, you know, social media exposure, you know, go try out the games and see who's actually doing something that's good. Because the, you know, you may find in the studio that you love the gameplay, even though it doesn't have great reach uh, on social media channels, maybe their marketing is not as great. Like a lot of times that word of mouth 
is is the thing that may propel a studio to be very successful uh, as gamers get in and actually actually find something that they love. Yeah, I think that was a lot of great points. I'll also add like we have to also look at like what happened with the market in the last you know several years. You know, we went from like the macro speaking the easiest time probably in our lifetimes to raise capital for a startup to one of the more difficult times in our lifetime to raise capital. Mm-hmm. And so for teams that, you know, maybe raised during the bull market and they're thinking, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do, you know, two or three raises like typical businesses do. Um, and then they get to that next milestone, but they don't yet have a product that's generating revenue or that they're they're ready to release. They ran into a serious problem of liquidity dried up. There's no one to to fund their next uh, round. And so that that caused a lot of issues where teams are downsizing or, or going out of business uh, or, or really stretching runway. And so activity dried up. And at the same time in the crypto market where everything's like the macro market, but on steroids, you know, like um, the, the consumer base kind of disappeared. You know, we had a lot of activity, people supporting projects, people jumping into games. And then those people kind of left with the market, you know, and um, and so when you're when your KPIs, when all the, the numbers that you show investors um, and, you know, the market in general, like when all those started decreasing, it seems like you are already a failure, even though you're still building. So, uh, yeah, these are all just, you know, complications that are kind of one off things. But um, but I think this is just this is one of those things where this too shall pass. So Rod got some more context. Uh, CoinGecko defines a failed Web3 game as having its 14 day average number of active users drop 99 percent or more from its peak. And I would argue, um, well, not really argue. I'd also like to add that some projects kind of get bamboozled with costs sometimes because not everything is fully fleshed out. And what I mean by that is there's one game that I'm following. I've been waiting for them um, and they ran into an issue. I've been checking the Discord. So they actually took a Web 2 game and they're making it Web 3. But to do that, they had to buy rights to the game, right? Well, they did buy the rights to the game, but what they didn't predict is that game didn't come with the rights to the engine. So now they have the option, okay, do we have to scrap this, rebuild everything from scratch, or do we have to license the engine now? So I feel like planning may also be taking a toll on people. They're not fully you know, allocating their budget properly, and that's leading to some of the issues that we're seeing with finances. Um, another project just couldn't get VC capital. Like they they could not get funding whatsoever. I liked their game. It was probably the first big game I started. Well, not really big, but it was the first game in Web3 uh, that I really dove into. I was making content for consistently. I was, you know, I even got appointed as a mod for their project. And the Discord announcement came through. Hey, guys, the CEO flat out said, look, we can't get funding. I'm getting a full time job. He, he wants to keep it going. He, he wants to fight and keep this project alive. But the reality is, if you can't bring in money, how do you build a game? So it's it's like a catch-22. They need us, the players, to be spending so they can get money to keep building. But we, the players, want finished games so we don't spend. And, and it's like, ah, this is almost like a crowdfunding situation where maybe some of these games might be better off just going to Kickstarter, getting some funding there, and building off of that. Oh, so they shouldn't, they shouldn't just launch some NFT collections? I mean, it, yeah. I, the the challenge here's here's the challenge. I and I don't I don't disagree with you um, entirely there, Jinky. The the challenge though is with it with the game, you you generally are going to have to get to some 
tier where you can release a product that people are willing to pay for in order to get additional funding and especially in a market like this right maybe if you're back in 2021 okay if you just had a pitch deck that was good enough but if you <laughs> if you missed that boat and you couldn't raise a hundred million dollars with a nice powerpoint deck like you're gonna have to have something that shows traction you know actual users some of whom are willing to pay like in order to convince someone to say okay if i give more money there's a chance I'm going to get some money back out at the end of the at the end of the day here, and it's not just someone's passion project. And so the problem with games is oftentimes like the replayability, the engagement, the interest comes from that finished gameplay loop. And if you're only able to build out 50% of a game, if you build it out in a modular format, and I know like uh, Grassley, we've talked about this from from Oldor standpoint as well. Like you guys have done a, a brilliant job of okay, what's a what's a level that we can get to that we can release a finished product that people enjoy playing? Let's do that, and then we'll we'll continue to expand. Right, that's what we did with Battle and the Beyond. Right, we have an MVP people are willing to pay for. We have a number of people that have purchased the Liz Pass. They're out there battling. We've got other game modes that we'll add afterwards. But if, if your goal is to, to build a game and it's to build like a MOBA, it's very difficult to build a scaled down MOBA that people want to play. Like just, just mm -hmm. being perfectly honest. And so you almost need to basically raise enough funds to build the whole thing out to, you know, to a reasonable polish level and then go back for more. Like I can think of a couple projects that have done that. And then as you, as like Grasso highlighted, the market turned and the folks that they thought that, that had verbally said, yeah, like this is great, just keep going, show us traction, we'll give you money. And then the market flips and they're like, eh, you know what? We don't really have liquidity right now. Sorry, like, can you just hang on for another year and we'll wait and see how things, you know, turn around? Like it's, that's tough as a founder, but at the end of the day, like you have to have backup plans upon backup plans upon backup plans for mm -hmm. all, all of these uh, possibilities. Otherwise, like it's, you're just not going to be able to succeed. That plays into what Rod's comment. He just said, uh, the moment the market shifts, so were their loyalty. I'm assuming that was in reference to VCs and that's pretty accurate. So we've already seen it. I mean, what was it? I think it was last year. It shifted like uh, I think there there was a seventy five percent shift. I'm I'm trying to remember numbers, so I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Uh, where it went from Web three gaming to AI instead, and it makes sense because what was popping at the time, AI. So I, I have to agree with you that you got to have that backup plan in case that does happen. One hundred percent. Yeah, remember a lot of the people that are making these decisions at VCs, um, they're they're workers, and like you never got fired for doing the same thing as everybody else did. But like, it's it can be a career limiting decision to say we're going to invest in this sector and no one else's, and it doesn't do well, right? Like if you go with mm -hmm. the flow and you invest in the space that everyone else is, and it doesn't work out, oh, you know, sorry, like the whole market <laughs> was wrong, but like <laughs> taking a courageous stand and saying I think this is the best bet, and like you're there alone. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a risky decision to make for for most folks that are having to do that evaluation and, and recommendations for for fund deployments. Yeah, and, and some of that narrative is driven by the LPs because the, the the guys that give the VCs money sometimes they'll have like in their head like okay I want to be invested in AI you know I'm seeing that on the news mm -hmm. and so it's like put my money in AI things and the VCs are like well I think you have a great product and I'd love to invest in you but my my liquidity is all saying you know buy this AI stuff. So. <laughs> I think as regulation. Yeah, look, I, half the time, I think like it's it's almost a vanity metric. Like, you know, I've got half of my liquidity tied up in the most 
most popular sector right now. Like, look, I, I think I think we would be we would be mistaken if we didn't acknowledge that there's some of that. Like the folks that are making these decisions, like they have a lot of excess capital that they're happy to deploy. They talk to people, right? They they have dinner parties. Maybe it's virtual, right? Maybe they're not in person, but like the folks that they're interacting with, they're having these same discussions and everyone likes to be loved, right? You like to be a part of a group that everyone is kind of doing the same thing. And like, you know, you, f you feel that camaraderie. They're, they're people just like everyone else that's listening to this show is. And so like, if you don't think that that narrative matters in terms of interpersonal relationships and just communication, there's absolutely a snowball effect that that has on deployments uh, as sectors become hot and cold mm -hmm. over time. Absolutely. I definitely, I feel like it really paid to be an early adopter in the space from a VC standpoint. Um, to be early and to be established is definitely a good place to be right now because I think even with the bull market coming back and, and the meta and the narrative coming back, I think, I, I haven't looked at stats on this, but I would think that VC money in, in Web3 is still probably not where it was in the in the thick of the last um bull market but yeah wealth is made in in concentrated bets right so uh yeah don't don't sleep on web three is what i would tell tell those vcs but i think as regulation like xrp winning you know winning lawsuit are still going through that i think that's a really big plus for the space and i think as regulation gets um just smoothed out some more we'll we'll probably see more capital start to flow back in we can hope yeah fingers crossed right I mean, realistically, what's I think the U.S. is probably the only one really hindering that. Yeah, we suck. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Well, well they actually. Did you, notice, did you notice that you switched me and Graslo, by the way? I had to because of the names. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the names were right at first. I don't know what happened. We went live, and I was like, "Oh crap! I gotta switch them real quick." <laughs> so. Oh man. But I also I also think with the having coming up, I, I don't know you guys' opinions on this, but with the ETF approval around the corner, the having the election next year, crypto, regardless of what the market does, because unemployment rates are going up, if crypto, you know, goes parabolic and if Bitcoin goes parabolic, I wonder if that is something that is going to pique VC's attention and just be like, okay, there's money, there's money in the space, there's money to be made here. And like, if we'll see capital flow back in that And way. some of the games we've mentioned, Alluvium, you know, if Alluvium starts making money hand over fist and bringing in, you know, tons of Web2 users, you know, VCs are going to be saying, well, I didn't have Alluvium, but I want the next thing, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think that could also be a big driver. We'll see. And hopefully these esports partnerships, I'm just saying, I'm just saying big eyes, big, big teams. So, Really excited to see what Alluvium is doing over there with Liquid. I'm glad to see that Farcana is working with the, the ex-CEO of G2. Again, I am going to, again, say this. Fanatic, where you at? Show up. We need you. <laughs> Maybe C9. Maybe even C9. I would love to see Sneaky over here. I'm just saying. Let's get Sneaky in Web3. <laughs> I'm sure some of you guys don't even know who I'm talking about right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all way, I, don't, I don't think Annie can hear me anymore. Well, Jinky, I am. Um, I'm gonna have to apologize now. I do have to step out for. Uh, for I was about call, to wrap but... things up. So if you guys got final thoughts, throw them out now. Let's do it. No, nobody. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, no, I, I, I'll just say um, on reflection, uh, we 
everyone that's listening to this has probably still been in the sector for for a while mm -hmm. uh, and i just want to keep encouraging people look everyone's excited because the markets are kind of coming back and like we're finally seeing games we've talked about a lot on here like there's partnerships with real legitimate uh, studios there's betas and alphas and game launches that absolutely should be driving a lot of excitement in the sector um i would just encourage you keep you know keep your eyes on the space Mm -hmm. Keep focused on making sure that uh, you know you're you're supporting and encouraging the studios that are building it the right way. And um, I I would also say uh, as you observe these this first I'm going to say first true wave of legitimate web three games that are launching um, I'm going to call it like wave zero as what we saw in 2021 and 22. Um, these these studios are going to be the precursors for what I think are actually going to be the long-term positions in the sector. So uh, oftentimes it's not really the like first wave of titles that is going to define genres, is going to define an industry. It's kind of that, that second go around that have the, the long lasting uh, runtime. And so the good news is you're here still very early. Um, it, it's probably going to be 2025, 2026, 27 that we see the, the titles that really you know, come to define Web3 gaming for a generation. Um, but just enjoy the ride because this these are the moments you don't get to live through twice. And with that, we're going to wrap it up because that was a mic drop and I agree 110%. Looking forward to the coming years. Thank you guys for joining us for another exhilarating episode of The Block Sauce, but we are now going to close things down. Before we say goodbye, though, I wanted to say thank you, Grazel, Shay, Annie, for joining us, especially Annie. I know it was kind of last minute, but thank you for, for filling in for us. We appreciate it. Love your face, and as usual, love your takes. Always good to have one of the founders up here to, to give us a little bit more insight, especially one that works with Alluvium when we're talking about Alluvium. I'm just saying, you know. So, uh, yeah. Remember, the sauce never stops flowing. Stay connected with us on social media and share your thoughts. Don't forget, we have a website. Go check out the website. It's flashing down below over our pretty faces. Go check it out. Blocksauce.com. Cheers. That's going to be it for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time, where we'll keep the gaming flame alive and the discussion sizzling. Stay saucy and keep gaming in the exciting realm of Web3. Have a good one. <laughs>